Hi everybody, welcome to Let's Talk with Sober Retake. Today I'm talking to Dave DeVita from New York. Dave is a powerhouse of sobriety, he really is. Um, We discuss his life all the way through his early drinking days to finding his first AA meeting which gave him a massive over 30 years of sobriety. And there's so much we discuss in this episode. And Dave's a good friend and he's given me lots and lots of support. And um, I just love him to bits. So I'd really like to introduce Dave to you. And um, we'll go from there. So over to Dave. Ooh. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing well, yourself? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, we're doing really good. It's been too long since we last spoke. So, uh, not, not too long. <laughs> no, no, we text each other, which is great, actually. I really like that. I was, I was just thinking, um, do you know what? Dave is one of the only people I know. When he says things, I actually want to write shit down, write it down. You know, <laughs> which is great, you know, because that's what being part of a sober community is all about, isn't it? You know, you listen. Someone said to me the other day, Ian, remember, you've got two ears and one mouth. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been? You doing okay? Doing well. Just a long day at work. Other yeah. than that, I, I was out chopping and weeds down, pulling weeds, cutting rose bushes back, trimming hedges. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, now I'm the gardener. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's um, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, I just want to say as well, Dave, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, not a problem. When we last talked and you said, what I'm coming on, I said, yeah. And then when I seen your post, I said, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, we go back a long way. (laughs) And I just want to say um, to anybody who doesn't know Dave, he's from all the way from, are you sunny today, Dave? Is it sunny in New York? Where am I? In, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. You're in Brooklyn, New York. Let's say, is it sunny today? Is it raining there? Uh, yeah, it was very nice out today. Uh, so, yeah, from, and from sunny New York. Uh, uh, we, I don't think we hit 80 today. No, we didn't hit about 20, I don't think. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't have... Well, we're at 78 now. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're um, having a bit of a rough time of it over here. But um, Dave... You want the season starts soon, doesn't it? Sorry? Does the winter season start? Don't say that. We haven't had summer yet. God, dear. No, I mean, officially, I think summer starts now and autumn starts in about end of middle of September, October. All but right, I mean, so I, we... I always say, if anybody asks, there's two seasons in England, winter and June. That's it. Winter and June. Yeah, winter and it. June. That's that's the two. So you get, you get one good month out of the deal, huh? Yeah, if you're lucky. If you're you lucky. Know, you don't see much what much washing hanging out in England, mate. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, so I just want to introduce Dave to everybody. Dave Joseph DeVita. Do you like that? Put Joseph yeah. in there. And um all the way from New York and say he's a powerhouse in the sober community, both over here and in America. Um, he's a very active member of my group, which is um, the Sober Retake Connection, and is also uh, one of the founder members of the Sober Stribe in America. And um, yeah, it's all going, all going 100 miles an hour. 
It's all seems to be... Sorry? What'd you say? The last part? I, I said it's all, it's all seems to be going at 100 miles an hour. Things are getting busier and busier, aren't they? Oh, oh, on the, the, the tribe things. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, it's a lot of work. And yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm like, ooh, lordy. Um, I need off-air. I'll discuss some things with you. But yeah, absolutely. There's no problem. Work with uh, figuring out the background and everything yeah, else. Yeah, we can sort that out. No problem at all. Yeah, I mean, um, as I say, Dave's part of the sober community. Um, we're going to hear a little about, little bit about his story in a, in a mo. And um, as I say, Sober Bus Tribe in America is a virtual bus which they've got together. So you go from state to state, um, connecting people to each other, really. It's all about connection and support. So if somebody in in New York is struggling, um, obviously Dave's there. And if somebody in New York you know, needs to contact somebody in another state where we've got an ambassador, um, it's... You know, it's all available. So that's that's really cool. So check that out. That's the Sober Bus Tribe on Facebook. There's various groups and they've got their own Instagram account as well, which is called USA Sober Bus. And yep. Dave, Sober Dave Bus runs USA. that. And which by the way, the man interviewing me set all of this up. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had a hand in it here and there, but um oh, you know. yeah, just just a hand or two. <laughs> but anyway, it, it is it is a fantastic thing. So go and check that out. Um Right, Dave, if you wouldn't mind, we'll, we'll just take a bit of a trip down memory lane for you. I mean, I'm familiar with your journey, but I know um, with alcohol, it's, it's been around for a long time when you were growing up. And um, as I say, you've been sober now, well, you say 29 years, but I, I'd call it longer than that, really. 35, is it? 36? Uh, October could have, should have, would have been 35 years when I started my recovery journey. At yeah. the ripe old age of 24. No, I mean, I'll be honest, people might think, oh, that's, that's quite a young age to start a recovery journey. But with hindsight, I wish I'd have started my recovery journey when I was 24. I, I agree. I, I thought the same at 24. I'm like, wow, I'm young to do this. And now, nowadays, you see people coming in at 16, 17, 18 years old, and I'm like, yeah. wow. I know one lady in particular, young lady in particular, she just celebrated, I think, 12 years, and she got sober at 17 years old. She's 29 years old, and has yeah. 12 years of sobriety. I, yeah. I, 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 I get goosebumps. I'm like, Yeah, wow. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's all right for an old duffer like me, because I can say to people, you know, this is what I want to do, but it must be really hard for people who are in that scene or in that young sort of tribe area where, you know, I'm not saying everybody drinks because they don't. But what I'm saying is it must be more difficult. It must have a lot more peer pressure when you're in a bigger group of people your own age, especially as a teenager, to say, I don't want to do this anymore. It must be quite something. And to, and to have the foresight to go into an AA meeting and say, look, I'm struggling here is pretty impressive, isn't it? At that young age, I think it is very impressive, and it, it's come a long way, recovery, whether it's AA and ACA, in any way you, you recover, you know, mm. you all recover differently, and it's, it seems to be the norm today, you know, that drinking's just not the answer anymore. No. You know, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It really is, because um, I know when I was growing up, there was... You know, if if you're a a, a late teenage 
young man or in your early 20s, you went at the pub and you drank. And that was it. And I didn't know anybody who didn't drink. To be honest, I didn't know anyone who who, who was a non-drinker. And people used to actually say out loud, never trust anybody who doesn't drink. I've heard someone say that to me, never trust someone who doesn't drink. Yeah, that's a Which saying. is crazy, isn't it? That's it that's a saying that a, here in the States, too. Is it really the same in America? Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's growing up, I mean, as an adolescent, that's all I seen with the older teens. I mean, with 14, 15, 16 years old, and that's what they did on the weekend, too, you know, to blow steam off with. Yeah. Well, let's have a drink. Let, let's, I mean, keg parties. We, we used to buy and buy the kegs here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably... I always used to laugh because we buy them four at a time in England. And whenever you see somebody, well, I'd say America, but more Australia, they um, they wouldn't even think about buying four. It would be a whole slab, you know, or more. Because wow, really? they, they just go, just, you know, because I think a lot of it is because of the climate. It's a much more social area and people drink in the gardens. I mean, I've got some friends in Australia and they don't even have a pub anywhere near them or a bar, because we they just go around each other's gardens, which is, I think, a little bit dangerous because there's no measure on what you're drinking. It's all free pouring, isn't it? You right. know, do you want a vodka? Glug, 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 glug. There you go. Rather than just on an optic, you know. Well, I, I've been to some bars where I've gotten an order of bartenders and it was glug, 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 yeah. glug, glug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's good and bad. <laughs> you think you're getting a, doing you a favour, but well, they are, aren't they? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, at, at the time, we thought they were doing us a favor, right? Yeah. So yeah. when 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 you started, then have have you always lived in Brooklyn? Have you always lived in that area where you are? Uh, now? I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and then I mean, I moved around, but yeah. that 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 was in sobriety, though. Yeah. Well, so when when you were drinking, were they was it more in the sort of city area in bars, or um? Yeah. Uh, like I said, well, I, I started drinking. Um, we were the I, we were the superintendents of a building, the custodians of a of a big apartment building. Oh, right, okay. So the apartment that they had in the basement, because my dad had a big family, they gave us yeah. an apartment in the building. So my dad was smart; he rented it out to the older teenagers, and that's why I started my drinking downstairs. Yeah. Um, by the time I was sixteen years old, yeah, I was in the bars. Yeah, because I mean. In, in England over here, it's 18. You've got to be 18. But in America, it's older, isn't it? You can drive before you're old enough to drink. Right. You can, yeah. Uh, you can get your learner's permit at 16 um, and drive with a licensed driver, I believe. They, they used to call it a blue card. I don't know now. I'm so damn old. I believe you can <laughs> get your license at 17. It's, if not 18, it's definitely 18. But the drinking age used to be 18 here in the states and then they raised it to 21 yeah so i remember mike tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world before he was old enough to drink which made me laugh <laughs> it's incredible isn't it what made me laugh is, is at 17 years old i joined the military i'm like okay i can go fight for my country but i can't have a drink yeah yeah and when you put it like that it's when you think about it yeah. i'm like really but that didn't stop me no no <laughs> No, that's right. So let's have a bit of a rewind. So really, it all started then as an as a sort of early teenager. Yeah, but um, 
I, I want to say I probably started drinking for effect at 14 years of age. Yeah. You know, that, that's when the trouble started with me. I started, I would think I was in seventh grade or whatever grade I was in, or ninth grade, I forget. Um, I started cutting out of school and, yeah. and, and hanging out with the guys who drank. I would go in the front door and out the back door, uh, and that was that, and go and hang out all day and drink all day and come home and suffer the repercussions. By the time I was 16 years old, I know, for me, I label myself as an alcoholic and an addict. I was a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic by the time I was 16 years old. Mm. So that's um, why at 17, I decided, let me join the army. That'll help yeah. me and corral it. I mean, I don't know what the forces are like in, in the States, but certainly here, you have like an initial basic training when you join the army. So they, right. you know, so would that, would there, was there still readily, alcohol readily available? Was, was that a sort <laughs> of time when it, you would have been sort of overseen more strictly by, you know, whoever? Well, yeah, right. Like you said, when you first join in, you have basic training and then you have your, what they call the your AIT, Advanced Individual Training, which is schooling. I have what was called a one station unit training where I did both in the same yep. spot. I didn't have to move. Um, and and the first, what was I? I think the basic training was six weeks, um, and there was no drinking whatsoever. No, None. no drinking, no smoking, no nothing. No, they, they were it... extremely strict on you, and if you got caught, you got you got in trouble. They they gave you a summons or a ticket, so to yep. speak. We called it in the military in Article Fifteen. I got a couple in it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, some people people do, don't they? You know. When when your thing is, oh, Dave, when, when you're trained to be on the edge all the time, you're going to cross over the line every now and then, aren't you? You know, you're going to well, do things because that's you've been trained to to do things. It's funny you say that. One, they, as punishment, they used to give you what they call KP duty, kitchen patrol. Now at 16, I worked in a kitchen for a little over a year. So yeah. when they put me in there, you weren't punishing me because I knew my way around a kitchen. And yeah. And it's still basic training. You're still within that six to eight week period where you're not allowed to drink. And guess what? How do you think everything gets on the base? Through the cooks. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I swear to God, the, the, the head cook there, the sergeant, he goes, Hey, kid, you're going to go out and have a cigarette? I said, We're not allowed to smoke. He goes, Ah, there's a pack of cigarettes hidden over there. The beer's in that garbage can. The marijuana is under this can. I'm like, Holy crap. Yeah. So it, it's still prevalent in, in the military. It was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the same everywhere, isn't it? I suppose it's, I mean, people, I mean, it must be even worse now because you could have somebody drop you something over the wall with a drone, can't you? Get over there, press a button. Oh, with drones, yeah. It'd land on someone's head, you know, delivery. They weren't around back in my day. No, no. I can remember, you know, David Blaine, the, the um, you know, the illusionist David Blaine. He's American, mm -hmm. isn't he, David Blaine? He um, did a thing in England called um, Above the Beyond, where he was in like a, you probably saw it on the television, he was in like a Perspex box hanging over the River Thames. Right. And, he, and he, like, he's in there for 40 days, just with water, apparently. And people were flying by remote control, these helicopters with McDonald's bags in front of the Perspex. It was really funny to watch. <laughs> Oh dear! But well, I thought then, you know, they'll be dropping things in prisons. It must be quite difficult for them because they could have a drone really high, dangle something right outside the window. 
Yeah, actually, there, there's a show called Kingstown here in America, and that's how they that's how they use they use the drones to bring the yeah. drugs into the prison. Just flies over the wall and drops the package, and yeah. somebody distracts the guards. And I'm like, wow, I never thought yeah. of that. No, no, that's right. Yeah. It, so, so after the, the military, then how how long did you stay in the military, Dave? Well, I, I went in there, like I said, um, at 17 years old. I stayed in for four years, and then I did two years in the reserves. And it actually it did help me. It, it, yeah. Because being in the military, I'm like, all right, now I'm government property. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> no, know? I understand. So it gives you it, like it a, put a little bit structure. of fear in me. I said, you know, I, yeah. I, I can't be doing these hard drugs and doing this and doing that. And I very pretty much didn't do any drugs at all that I can think of or remember. Maybe smoke a joint every once in a blue moon. Yeah. yeah. But I did I did do my drinking and I got in a little bit of trouble with that. But they also offer you to help if you need it, if you just say you need the help. So I did the four years in the military, got out with an honorable discharge. So now I'm twenty one. <laughs> now yeah. I can legally drink. Yeah. So what's the first thing I did when I got back home was I went straight to the bars. Yeah. I mean it's a bit of a myth. I keep saying over here because I'm, I'm sure it's the same both ends. But with with people's children, certainly with me, they'd encourage me to drink before I was 18. So just because lots of people on their 18th birthday didn't know how to behave around alcohol, they've never they've been screwed down so tightly by their parents that when they reach the age of out, you know, this age of legal right. age to drink, they'd go out and get totally smashed. Or drive their car home drunk, or, or but of course when I was eighteen, it was just like another day, because I'd already been around pubs and drinking, right? And drinking for a long time, so I never had that experience of now I'm old enough, you know. Because but, I mean, my my parents. I mean, when I grew up as as a, as a young lad, there uh, there was always parties at the house, you know. And I mean, as a really little kid, they they thought it was funny. Oh yeah. Let, let's give the kids a drink and see how yeah. they act. And I'm like, so to say it was predisposition? Well, yeah. I mean, you started training me at a young age. Yeah. Um, my parents didn't want me to drink, but they knew I did drink. And they said, so long as you do it within reason and you don't get in trouble, then you still do good in school. Well, that went on the wayside, you know. Yeah. Um, as long as I didn't hide it from them, I was okay. So like you're saying, by the time I was 18, I was already off to the races. But you say that went by the wayside, but people do things at different times in their lives, don't they? I mean, look, look what you've achieved now in just by in sobriety. I mean, right. you're, you're probably in the same room now. I can't see, but usually, you know, the wall behind is covered with certificates, you know, and you've yeah, that's you're a now <laughs> a New York State chaplain, you know, and, you know, I think that's a massive achievement, but we'll, we'll get to that. So, um, We've left the army then, and we're working our way through. And then, what happened after that, Dave? Where did you get after that? Uh, like I said, I came home. Like I said, and then I mm -hmm. got stationed yep. here in New York in the reserves for two yep. years. So I mean, the reserves. I don't want to badmouth the service, but to me, it was a joke because you do. You, they called you a weekend warrior because that's yeah, what that's you right. do. One weekend a, a month, and two yeah. weeks out of the year. And when we went away for that two weeks out of the year, you know, I got loaded on the truck first, don't you? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, so I, I got, I got through that. I got in some trouble. Um, 
At, at that time, my dad was getting sick near the end of my, my military career at, at Secure Mark for the last year. He had, he'd come down with um, throat cancer. So I had to watch my P's and Q's because I, I was the breadwinner and I was the one taking care of him. You know, but, um, I must have been quite a responsibility. It, it was, but I was kind of used to it because, unfortunately, my dad was a, an amputee from like here down. Um, he only had like a sixth grade education. Yeah. He always had menial jobs. So, like I said, when I started working in, in kitchens at 16 years old, I was making more money in a week than he was making in two sometimes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I, I always, I, I, I had to grow up real fast. Yeah. But at the age of 14, my mother, um, on, in a drunken stupor, may she rest in peace, uh, said, you know that man that you keep defending? He's not your father. And I'm like, what? So, I mean, the backtrack. So, to me, he, he's not my biological dad. Yeah, but, but he's more. Dad since I'm three months oh, old. There's more to being a dad. Being yeah, a father is very different to being a, just a dad. Right. You know, so, I mean, just the backtrack. If he's your dad, if he's your dad, he's your dad. And that's the oh, end. Oh, he's of my it. dad. I have yeah. all his character, characteristics. Yeah. yeah, of course. I, you know, um, and like I said, so when that came about, that was a little rough, you know, and, and then he passed away. And, I was off to the races for those last two years yeah. from 22 to 24. Like I said, by the time I hit 24, I had been arrested at that time. Well, at 24 years old, I had gotten arrested. Um, and yeah, that was what, 1988. Yeah. I got arrested. I was facing eight and a third to 15 years in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Wow. Um, and it was for selling drugs. Now, <clears throat> In the rooms at AA, on, on most of the banners, it'll have the group name, the established date, and then it says, but for the grace of God. Yeah. Now, in the courtrooms here in America, above the judge, where he sits, it says, in God we trust, just like it says on our money. Yeah, that's so, right. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, God, you got me. I may not have done it this time, but I have done it before. Um, I knew it was coming. I was forewarned. I have, I have family that's on the PD. And they warned me, so I stopped doing it. But I got got arrested anyway in a raid in a bar at 24 years of age. And I think that scared me for about four days, and I stayed sober. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, it does, isn't it? You think, Christ, that was lucky. I mean, when you said about in, in God We Trust, were you a, a, a sort of God-faring chap at that time? Have you always been... I never child. had a problem with God. The only problem I had with God growing up as a child, I was always taught that God was a punishing God. Oh, I see. Uh, that you need to fear him if you do wrong. That's the way I was brought up, uh, Irish Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Well, yeah, I understand. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Um, but by that point, I, I had realized he wasn't a punishing God. And it's just something that struck me in, on my mind standing in court that one day. But that started going to AA meetings, trying them out. And like I said, I did. I got arrested in June and October the 9th of 1988 was the first time I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. You know, so it, it took that amount, five more months before yeah. I finally said, you know what? No, but it, it, it's got to grow inside you, hasn't it? You lay the foundation or plant the seed of that. You did with me anyway, is to think, right, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But I don't feel like I'm in the position to just say, right, I'm done. So I think, right, right, then it plays on your mind for that five months. Then you come to the conclusion, you're thinking, no, I really am done now. Now is my time. Right. You exactly. know, and, that, and that's how I come. I reached that point where I thought, this is my time now. 
Where I, before I, like I just wasn't. I, ha- I had to go out and have a few more convinces. Yeah, that's right. Just want to make sure. You know, yeah, just want to make sure. Maybe yeah, you don't, I'm not. Maybe I'm. Not. Yeah, you don't, don't worry about that fifteen kid hanging over yeah. your head. Possibly, it, 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 it had yeah. no reason. I got arrested in a bar. Yeah, you don't want to rush into these things. You got to make sure it's. Yeah, um... I got to make sure. Exactly. Right. But it's yeah, funny now, so... we laugh about it, but I couldn't think of anything worse than drinking now. Isn't it strange, you know, all them years? I mean, for you, obviously, you've been, well, you've been sober longer than you have been yeah, anything, haven't you? Drank, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that's that's fantastic. But when I think back to being in bars and pubs and being, say, drunk, even just being, having one too many, I just couldn't imagine doing it now because I don't need to. I don't need that. Whatever I, it was given me. I can't fathom doing that ever again, you know, because, I mean, like I said, by the time I was 16 years old, I was blacking out. I was a blackout drinker. Yeah. No, I wasn't. No, I didn't know how I was getting home. And sometimes I didn't get home and I had waking up in strange places. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I got myself in a jackpot again this time. Not, not that it was really a jackpot, but that's the thought that goes through your mind. And, yeah. And, and yet th- that thought comes through your head. I, I can't do this again. And what do you do? Yeah. I mean, for me, whether you can relate to this in any way, but I, 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 I think that everybody is good at something. Some people are good at math. Some people are good at school, college, driving, playing golf. And I was good at drinking. And that was what I was known for. So they knew when I'd go out for drink, oh, he'll be along soon. He's a right laugh. You wait till he's had a few more pints, you know. And so I sort of play to this person, this veneer if you like, over me, where I'd, I'd, I'd think that I've got to be this person. And then it became sort of who I was. It was, it was just a strange thing. It, it and becomes then, your identity. It becomes your identity. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And you, you yeah, are, I mean, then, you know, it's when difficult. When I hung out to... with, with, with the fellas around my age, I was always the oldest, but, and they always expected Dave to pay. So now that's like, okay, uh, I've arrived, you know, I'm better then. So you start getting that in your head. And then when I worked in the kitchens, I was working with people 10 and 10 years and older above yeah. me. So it was like, they took me under their wing and now we'll show you how to do it. And I'm like, but I fit right in though. With 10 yeah. and 12 year, year older people. And it's like, yeah. Uh, like you said, it becomes an identity. Because yeah. you, no, you have to grow up fast. You know how to operate around this environment because you've been had no option but to be just hit the ground running, haven't you? You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I hit the ground running. Quit, quit high school. Got my GED. Went to work right away. And what did I go to work? I started working in pizzerias, and then I went to work in an actual restaurant. So now I'm working in the field and. My bosses used to ask me, hey, Dave, you have a drink or, or, or smoke a joint yet? I'm like, nope. They're like, go get a beer and go outside and smoke a joint. I worked about it. Yeah. It took the edge off. You yeah, know? And especially. That was another but, thing that got in my head. It's funny, really, because that edge that you needed taken off was probably caused by the alcohol you drank the day before. Isn't it funny? You think you need to take the edge off, but if you cut the head off the snake and say, right, I'm going to stop drinking, all right, initially, it's oh my God, but after a very short time, you realise that your anxiety level starts to drop and this edge that you thought you needed to take off by drink isn't there anymore. 
because you've right. not got a hangover, you've not got the anxiety, you're not thinking, shit, I haven't got any money to pay the rent this month because I've bought all the beers. You know, all these things, you think, I feel much better. It, and, it, came to be, it becomes the magic eraser. eraser that's exactly right. Is, yeah, I like that. Erases right. all the inhibitions. I'm writing these down, magic eraser. Oh, <laughs> honestly. So, yeah, so... Is, is that when you started AA, AA meetings? Did you went to your at first 20, meeting? At 24, I, I, on October the 9th, before, uh, I was still facing those charges. And, and my mother had been sober already eight years. My sister Nancy was sober, I think, nine or ten. So I said, you know what? I've been to a few of them. I said, let me give this a shot. You know, I stayed sober the first time, I think, 19 months. At the 14-month mark, it was on December the 20th of 1989. I remember it like it was yesterday. My mother passed away from cancer. And everybody in the rooms and everybody in life were a bunch of liars because you all told me she was going to be okay and it's going to be okay and God's going to take care of it. And I hated everybody. Now I hated God. Yeah. And I was broken inside again. So how I lasted another five months after she passed away, I have no idea. Um, but then I tried to pick up a drink and this, that was my second attempt at suicide. Really? That's how I got in the program. I mean, it, well, that, that's how I got in the program. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, suicide at 24. I'm, I'm not I'm trying any amateur psychology because that's not me, but I'm just saying it must have been very hard for you at the time because you'd lost your dad and, and then your mum, you know, both to, to cancer. And, right. You know, with the alcohol as well. It, it must have been. Have you got, have you got many, you say you've got many brothers and sisters. Has you got a nice family support? Uh, there was five of us. I, I'm a twin. Yeah. Um, and in sobriety, I've lost. Actually, I, I misspoke when I said I lost my father. My father had gotten sick that time with the cancer, and he survived for quite a while. My mother was the first one to die in the family at, oh, right. at okay. 25. Yeah. And then, then my father was to die years later. Because uh, I went in and out five times in the first six years. Um, so the last time I came in was in 1994 of April. He died in. Um, September of 95. Mm. So I was just around the same amount of time sober yeah. this time as when my mother passed away. But I learned the lesson from when my mother passed away and I said, stop being so selfish. Yeah, but you say selfish, but it, it's, it takes a while, doesn't it? Because I remember I was talking to, talk to my wife and she said, look, listen, I'm not going to be part of your pity party. You know, you've got to <laughs> understand that you know, it's nobody's fault. We was it actually wasn't talking about sobriety, but it was something else. It was some other problem I've got um, for hiccup from when I was much younger. Um, and she said, you know, you've you can't carry on like this. You know, you've either got to put it to bed or or find some help, professional help to get over it. And so what I've done, I've it's more or less been put to bed now. I've aired a few things about it. But anyway, that's what I'm saying. Right. You get no, to the point I, where, I, where I, you I understand that. what you're talking about yeah. like that. I mean, because in that interim of that five years, I mean, I was in and out of the program of AA, and I yeah. was also going to therapy to work on, on that, on, mm. uh, on the loss of my mother, the anger yes. that I felt, the grief, the, the, the depression, you know. So, yeah. But, and, and then it was also pointed out to me, and, and I say selfish in a way. It's because not, none of us want to see our parents go or a loved one go, you know. No, of and, course not. But she, but she was suffering. So, I mean. Yeah, no, at, I at understand. I meant in, in a selfish way, if she still would have stayed alive, she still would, she would have suffered. So, 
when it came time for my dad to pass away, um, I was fine. Yeah, no, but with with um, especially bereavement combined with any other mental health things, we look we look at them now in a different light to what they were then. Right. Because now it's like, oh, you go and see your doctor. He'll prescribe you some antidepressants if you need them. You know, it's very, very open and you can speak to a therapist. But in 95 or around that time, it was right. completely different where you you wouldn't say to to another another man, do you know what? I'm really struggling at the minute, Dave. You know, I've, you know it, you'd have to keep that, again, veneer to think I'm okay, but... It's like a duck swimming on top of the water. You know, it looks really and, smooth, and, you know, isn't it? And underneath his feet are going, you know, it's against yeah. the tide, you know, and he's thrown against the current of the river. And um, you know, no one can see that. You know, everyone's got to be okay, haven't they? Because other people who are listening, who are and, asking, and, who might say, are you okay? And you go, well, no, I'm not actually. And they go, oh. See, in, in the general society, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. But I have, like I said, I have been sober 15 or 16 months again this time. Yeah. So I, I shared about it in the rooms of AA. And, and some people told me, well, get over it. I'm like, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. It, process, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, There's nothing wrong it's with It's a process that I had to get through. And I, I got through it. And the man died in my arms. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get over it then, are you? You know, but it, I mean, so there, it, there it's is. Not, it's not something to get over. That's what I tell people. It's something to get through. Yeah. Something to learn how to deal with. You know, mental illness. You know, and and grief is part of it. Depression's part of it. Anxiety's part of it. Like you mentioned, all those things are part of it. Mm. And then to think that a drink or a drug is going to make it any better. <laughs> well, alcohol's a depressant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the problem, and the you, problem is with alcohol, it's very good at doing something quickly so yeah, yes you job, you, you can knock yourself out in no time at all and just for an hour think oh i'm just i'm just in this euphoric sort of utopia or whatever you're in this state but then right. it comes back tenfold tenfold you know and um yeah because that what people don't realize is alcohol is a downer <clears throat> and it starts messing with your mind the dopamine and the serotonin in your brain and then when you you, you wake up the next day now your body's craving that because yeah. it, it wants that fix again. And on top of all of that, you still got the grief, disappointment, and all the reasons behind why you drank. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, your your body does an amazing job at maintaining all these, these I mean, I'm no expert, I'm just saying, but right. usually it does an amazing job at maintaining this chemical balance so everything's in equilibrium. It's about there. You suddenly give a massive, great dopamine hit. Your body goes, whoa, hang on a minute. So it lifts up the other side to bring it down. Right. Yeah. And then that goes down. But of course, it doesn't know because it's a, you know that you're over it. But of course, it's still trying to counteract this massive yeah, um, dopamine hit. So it's very giving good you. Point. I learned it, that in sobriety that, yeah, that it's, without it's given, that, yeah. I wasn't screwing that process up. No, I mean, it's good. You know, there's a guy called and Andy Ramage, and um, there's a few people, um, alcohol books. Um, it's particularly good when it will come to me in a minute. But um, it's they go about the chemical side of it. And it's good analysis for people who like things very literal, black and white. You know, this is what it's doing right. to you. You know, it's very, very good. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'll ask you this straight because I've never been to an AA meeting. Did you take to the AA meeting sort of, um, that's what I'm looking at it, procedure, the way it's set up, the 12 steps straight away? Is that something you just thought, yeah, you know what, this is well, exactly I mean, what I'm looking for? Well, I mean, obviously from coming out of the military, I was structured in that way. So yes. this is a structured program. It's 12 yeah. steps. My life was unstructured and unmanageable. So I'm like, well, let me give this a shot. Now, obviously, the first five years, five and a half years that I was going in there, I wasn't looking at them steps. I looked at them. I, I memorized them. I knew what they meant, uh, the first three anyway. And yeah, I tried to skate by on that. And, yeah. and, and I mean, but the meetings themselves, I mean, there were good meetings and there were bad meetings. I'm going to set this. And, but that's my perception. That's me. Yeah, well, that's an honest overview, and it? it's just like you say, you could take a snapshot at a good meeting and say that's really good. But as you rightly say, in everything in life, you can go to do anything if you do it repetitively. You have good days and bad days. Exactly. You know, I mean, I I don't know much about the AA, AA meetings apart from somebody said to me that they would they were hovering in and out of it until they got to step four, and then it meant they'd actually got to do admin if you like they've got to do something rather than just being this is good fun you know you think i'm about step four is how i've got to actually sit down and yeah that, that down. Me, that's why I, I never did step four the first five years <laughs> and yeah. finally my, my mentor sponsor whatever title you want to put on them the last time i came back in on april the 16th i was sitting there with my head down and he goes, what's the matter? I said, I went out and I drank last night and I tried to kill myself again. He goes, do me a favor, stand up. I stood up. He goes, turn around. And on the wall behind me, there's all kinds of slogans. And yeah, sure. So I thought he wanted me to read something. No, he promptly kicked me in my ass. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell was that for? He goes, when are you going to do step four? And get rid of that. Get, get it out. Yeah. It's a cleansing. That's all it is. You know, some people take cleanses, you know, that are in the health juice cleanses, things of that nature. I just, I seen the word fearless and I erased it and put fearful. Yeah. And he said, but who knows you better than you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I get that part. He goes, I know what it is. You're projecting the step five. Step five is where you have to admit to yourself another human being and to God the exact nature you're wrong. I'm like, I ain't telling nobody about what's going on in here. Mm. Uh, so that that's what I think was holding me back step four so when I, I finally did a good thorough step four i mean i wrote like a novel he goes no you did it wrong and he made me condense it so i sat there for 12 hours with him all day long writing and writing and writing and rewriting and recorrecting he goes you ready to do step five i said hell no he goes well you just did i said how so he goes well you just let me read your step four i said yeah he goes so you know i know and he goes if you think god don't know i got another thing coming to you and i'm like yeah the weight when he said that, like, poof, it was gone. Yeah. Did you feel liberated or feel better? Yeah, I, I felt freaking, I mean, I got goosebumps in my hair standing up now. Yeah. I'm like, when he said that, the fear was gone. It was diminished. I'm like, because that's what was holding me back. It's not that I didn't know what was wrong with me and what was going on inside my head and in my heart. It's just, I didn't want to have to put that stuff down on paper and share it with somebody. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, um, was talking to somebody a little while ago and they were saying about um, journaling and I said I don't think it'll work for me because I sort of didn't see the point because only I'm going to read it 
So yeah, you're I, I, you person. know, and but I think actually now, I mean, now I've spoken to a few people. I think it, I this is only my own opinion, but I think it it is a good thing. It and, is. Yeah, I, I, I used know. to journal years back, and I I never I was a kind to you, akin to you. Yeah. I'm like, well, what the hell good is it if I'm the only one reading it? Yeah. And somebody simply told me, at least you put you're taking an action. Yeah. Getting it out and you're putting it on paper, and I went. Yeah. And I, I went to, with Kezabel, I went to, um, and the Bendy Witch, who, who's been on the podcast, she, um, went to, I went to like an, an open mic, it wasn't open mic, it was a, a, a stage in a festival where it was all spoken word and poetry, people reading right. their own stuff. And I've always thought, I've always enjoyed it and thought it was good, but I've always thought, well, I don't really get it. I understand it. But when I was there, I just had this sort of moment where I thought, do you know what? This is really good. This is really good because these people are writing down how they're feeling and writing down things in a, such a creative way. And I thought, right. yeah, I, I get it now. But I need to spend a, a, lot, need, a lot of people don't, don't get spoken word. No, I, I needed like to spend some time with them to, to absorb what they, what, what they were doing. It's not, they're standing there reading it it's it's what they're reading and how it how it, what it means right. to them and i sort of made that connection which was really good i really enjoyed it, it it's like another tool in our toolbox to, to yeah. me it's, it, it's like it's like that 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 uh steam valve to, to open it up and let and let some of it out yeah just let some of that pressure out because if you yeah, don't pressure or pressure valve that's the word it's got to come out somewhere hasn't it it's got to come out yeah so you either have a breakdown or you try to let it out a bit of the time in a creative way or whatever suits you when people go to the gym don't they gym bunnies they go there oh yeah or you know some people don't they do whatever floats your boat however you find relaxation then that's great isn't it so with the aa meetings and Dave, did you i mean i suppose what i'm getting around to saying i'm i find it really interesting people when they become sober and they're sober for quite some time say, I don't know, three or four years, and they suddenly feel that they they have a moment where they think, I want other people to feel how I feel. And I want to help people who are now coming into their AA meetings. And I want to be able to help you. Rather than, you know, you want to give back what you've received. Did right. you fire, Did you have, do you remember that? Was it a moment yeah, that, that's That's our 12 step. You know, that's that's part of the program to is give it? away what was so free. Yeah, that's the twelve step states. Having had a spiritual awakening and as a result of these steps, we try to practice these principles in all our affairs and to help another alcoholic achieve sobriety. Oh right, okay. So yeah, but I, did you did you have you that feeling at, of like? Yeah, I I did. Like you at, think, at yeah, first. you know, yeah, you know, I I, I want I, people to feel how I feel. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I did, you know, and, and for a while I'm like, all right, because they call it sponsors. Some people call it yeah. mentors, but in the programs called being a sponsor. I'm like, I used to, I used to go to my sponsor and say, look, nobody's asking me to sponsor them. He goes, Well, I'm gonna go ask the newcomers. Don't ask them, tell them you're gonna be their sponsor. I'm like, No, I'm not militant like that. Yeah. That's that happened to me and it almost turned me off. And um yeah, I, I just see. by you sitting here and sharing what you're sharing at a meeting. Is helping others because something you may you say may spark an interest in somebody else or a thought in somebody's mind. And I went, oh, okay. You yeah, know, I mean you're right, definitely. 
because I, I had a comment the other day on a post I put and it was somebody said, oh, I really needed to hear this today. So somebody's yeah. having a bad day and they've turned their phone on and it's just, it gives me a nice feeling to think that I might have made somebody's just a moment a little bit better for somebody. They read that and, you know, it's to say, listen, you're doing a good job. You might think you're not, you know, but, you know, it's this shit's real. You know, it's real and you're actually doing it. You know, so right. if you're further than what you were yesterday, then you're on the right track. You know, exactly. I agree 100 percent. But as far as get, giving it away and helping others, I, I do that. I mean, you, you get what they call speaking engagements. They actually speak at meetings, you know, so I, I do that quite often as well as often as I can. Um, I, I love to travel, you know, yeah. and, and go to different meetings because um, nine times out of ten is you walk into a meeting and you're from out of town. They know it. And where are you from? How long are you sober? Good. We need a speaker, man. You're it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome in. Right. Off you go. You know. Well, there you go. Here's the mic. <laughs> Here's the mic. No, I mean, that must have been quite nerve-wracking to start off with, but I imagine you, you're first, used to it, it now. Um, yeah, it is. It can be. Yeah. I still get nervous today when I have to speak. I don't know why. I but do. you're with friends, aren't you? I mean, I said to somebody... Who we went to a wedding and it was a very low key wedding. It wasn't like a big massive thing. It was lovely. And I said, You're with friends. It doesn't matter if it all goes wrong. Everybody right. here is actually a friend. You're not making the speech in front of, you know, you're not on the apprentice trying to do something. Right. You know, exactly. you know, it, you're not making, you're not trying to sell somebody a block of row of houses. This is just an informal chat with people. I mean, I get nervous, so I'm not sort of dismissing it i understand but what i was trying to put in mind at rest today it doesn't matter i think the reason i get nervous is because i start getting in my head why well, I, I hope i say this right i hope i say this and i hope i yeah. say it. yeah and i understand yeah i asked my mother one time when she was still alive when i was first sober i said ma how come i get nervous speaking at meetings and she said that's god shaking the truth out of you uh-huh. well and i went all right good enough for me yeah so, that's fair enough I don't know if I'm going to laugh hysterically when I get up there to share. I don't, I'm, I'm definitely going to sweat. Why? I don't know. Yeah. No. I can have the chills at the same time. I don't know if I'm going to bawl like a baby. I don't prepare. No. I mean, I've listened to a few people and even some really, on a different thing completely, but even some really good comedians say, I walk on the stage and I've no idea what I'm going to say until I get in front of that microphone. And you think, mm-hmm. Really? And he says, honestly, like Billy Connolly, everyone knows who Billy Connolly is. He gets up, gets in front of that mic. He said, I honestly don't know what I'm going to say until I get in front of that microphone. And I think, you know, with certainly when you're trying to um, support other people, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, you just say the truth and say how you're feeling. The people will get support and find yeah, a lot I of think that's, that's from the that. Most to be honest and be open and be truthful about what's going on with you, what helped you. And that's, that's all I can do. Yeah. You know, um, if, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'll help you find it. Yeah. Well, you can't ask anymore. Plus the fact you've on your own personal journey, you have um, opened up other avenues in your own expertise with gaining certification in lots of other things to do with mental health, Right. And other things, haven't you? I mean, you wanted to just briefly yeah, say um, about that because that yeah. obviously you can you can spot or assist somebody where 
because I haven't got that experience and knowledge, I could possibly not make it worse. With the best of intentions, I might not be actually assisting somebody where it's just having a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. You're better off knowing it properly. Yeah, that, that's what I thought when I started the process. But actually, I, I was never, I never really liked going to school and learning. I love learning about this now today. So mm. that way, and that, by well, no means am I a professional, but I think I'm up to 13 or 14 certificates now. Yeah. Um, well, buy so some more paper instead. I don't know what, what you're trying to do. The I just, I just received, it's a nine-hour course. And it's true California because it's predominantly California. But if I wanted to transfer it here to New York, I can. It would just be called something different. Yeah. It's called registered alcohol and drug technician, you know. Um, and it just keeps, so I got that one. And prior to that, I went on Allison Schools, which you yep. should be know of. Um, okay. And that was, that was dealing with mental health. Um depression uh anxiety uh and and realizing how to defend and it delved a lot into how to defuse a person so they don't get angry yeah i mean that would play i mean you could you have a better tool because i mean you've been in a new york state chaplain am i right in saying that you can be on call Yes, I'm on call. Yeah, I did, yeah. That, that's what started me in all of this on this journey is, is that I became a New York State chaplain, and then within that, and be, and within my church, they asked me at one point. They said, "Well, we want we want you to be a youth minister." So then I had to take the course in that, and happening, and learning about the mental capacity of a child, and and realizing when they may be in trouble by just by their actions. So that's what set off this course of yeah. me going into the mental health field and into the addiction field. Um, in order to become a New York State chaplain, I had to take a federal emergency management course. I had to take two of those courses for incident command during a crisis. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of that was mental health. And I'm like, holy crap. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. But to me, it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't difficult, but it, it wasn't hard because in dealing and being in sobriety so long, you deal with this on a day-to-day basis with just common people you meet in recovery. Yeah, absolutely. When I didn't realize that, um but when people are say in a, an accident an emergency ward an er you know an er suite that sometimes obviously people turn up drunk and they have people on standby to talk to them because quite often the doctors and and the you know paramedics haven't got the experience on how you know they they sort of clam up and they don't want to tell how they're feeling yeah. and there's somebody on call can go in and talk to these people who may be under the influence and they sort of relax the situation they defuse the situation and say look you must you've got to tell us where it hurts i suppose but you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean it's i'm not no, sure what i'm trying to say that, you know they, that, they go there that's that's one of the criteria being a new york state chaplain you're supposed to present a calming effect yeah somebody talking to them but they teach you certain things to listen for and, and then with the spirituality part comes into it with prayer if, if, if they want to pray um yeah. so i was like wow that this is interesting i mean that was a that was a three-month course that was 12 weeks yeah. Yeah. And, and it was not easy that part no. wasn't easy. i was like Ooh. and well, then the thing is on. though that they're not attendance certificates are they they're completionist certificates you've done it what I'm saying is yeah. oh, I, yeah. I went I, I went I, to a first aid course where I was an appointed first aider 
and they'd already written my certificate out before I'd even started the course. So it's just in attendance. I've attended this course. Right. You know, I mean, thank goodness I've never had to um, perform any half-assed attempt at first I, aid I on just, somebody. I just renewed my my uh, first aid certificate, I, uh, my CPR and AED certificate. So to yeah. go to two more I got, um, I have my Narcan certificate. I'm Narcan certified. What's that? What's Narcan? Narcan is, is if you're overdosing on opioids. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they have the nasal one and then they have the needle one. I have both. Oh, I right. Okay. In my car at all times. And New that... York State has finally caught up to California mm. and now they're offering it free. Yeah. Oh, okay. And fentanyl test strips. See, but they're a little wrong. They're saying it works against fentanyl. I don't think it works against fentanyl. No, can. But yeah. you're better off trying than not. Um, yeah. A lady outside earlier today was outside having a cigarette. She's like, you know, who was on duty at five o'clock at the church? I'm like, nobody. I'm not on a Sunday. It's five o'clock. It's Sunday. They're gone. The church is closed by two o'clock in the afternoon. She goes, well, there was a junkie in there and he had a needle stuck out of his arm. My daughter seen him. And I said, okay, and? Well, something's got to be done about it. I said, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, he said, needs help. I said, what did your daughter do? She said, excuse me? I said, your daughter called 911? Did your daughter call her brother-in-law, who's an NYPD officer, who has Narcan training, who carries Narcan? If she thought he was dead, what did she do? Yeah. It's a, I, it's I, a, so don't, it's don't a funny position. No, it's, I mean, I, now more than ever, sometimes I will assist if I can, but I mm -hmm. certainly, I certainly don't judge anybody anymore. You know, well, I, I, we all, everybody, they call it unconditional positive regard, don't they? Where you can speak to somebody without making any judgment on what they're saying at all, that you're looking right. at things in their frame of reference. But so, she came to me because she knows I'm a member of the church and I'm yeah, a chaplain. that's right. But what I'm saying is... I, I called the rectory and I couldn't get anybody to do anything. She kept pointing a finger in a very demeaning way. And I'm like, so I just turned the tables on it politely. And I said, well, what did your daughter do? Yeah, if you what, keep what, saying what somebody had to do something, well, what did your daughter do? Yeah, I know a daughter. I know yeah. she got a cell phone. She's a grown woman. Yeah, um, that's right. A daughter's in New York City... Board of Education school teacher. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we'll wrap this up in a minute. I know you're busy. But um, if you've, not, as I say, somebody's got a drug problem, like that poor guy on the steps outside the church, and somebody calls 911 and they come up and he needs medical attention, right? He needs help. Now, over in England, we've got the NHS, which is National Health Service, where you get free medical cover. We don't pay for we pay for it in our contributions of our wages in PAYE, pay as you earn. So you pay for it, but it's not like an insurance. It's a deduction before you get paid. So everybody who's in full-time employment or part-time, they pay a contribution of percentage of their earnings. So, but what I'm saying is if you are retired or you haven't, unfortunately, you're not employed, you can still have the same level of care as what somebody who's paying the contributions. You don't have to have your own insurance, right? So in, in America, it's all insurance-based, isn't it? There isn't- It's, it's a, all insurance-based, but in a case like that, that where this person may not have their own their own coverage, they have what they call emergency Medicare, 
with right, a situation. Okay. There's a law that you cannot be turned away from a hospital for treatment in an emergency situation. No, but they is that at least stabilize you? Yeah, is the level of care patch you up, make sure you're okay? Yeah, you're down the road. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, then it, while you're in there, if you're in the emergency room or whatever, I mean, you could ask to see a counselor or something else, and they they can find you places that that'll help assist you. Oh, that's good because I was a bit concerned. Well, I'm not concerned. I was just intrigued, really, to think, well, what more often than not, the people who need help might have hit rock bottom because people do, don't they? You know, right, because, drugs. because out of my paycheck, yeah. uh, it goes towards Medicare and it goes towards Medicaid, yeah. which are two different things. Medicare is our Social Security retirement yeah. fund. That's for, that pays for your medical coverage when you're retired. Yeah, you know? I, see. I know people who've worked all their life off the books. <laughs> Yeah, you that's know, right. And, and then they become of retirement age and they're sitting there. Well, what do I do? I got no medical coverage. Um, then you can go to a city hospital and you can go on a, a, a sliding scale. If you, They cannot refuse your treatment. No, well, that's, that's good, yeah. isn't it? You know, otherwise you'd be in a it, position where... I, I think your way and Canada's way is a whole lot better as far yeah. as medical care. The only problem with our way, I mean, I'm not going to start this because I could open a can of worms because it's such a big discussion about it at the moment. Right. It's because they're run like a business. It's not like um, it's not run as a service. Even if it's a national health service, the books still have to balance. And like okay. many like many businesses, when it becomes a little bit top heavy, you've got more executives than you have nurses, then the waiting lists start to pile up. And right. then, then they then they refuse to pay them. In one minute, we're clapping nurses outside the door in COVID, thanking the NHS. And 18 months later, these same nurses are eating out of a food bank because they can't afford the cost right. of living increase. And I personally think that it is tragic and it, it should never happen. I mean, I think now they've managed to resolve something with the, with their wages, but these are the people who are doing the job. These are the people on the front line who yeah, 18 months 18 months ago were treated rightly so like guardian angels you know these guys were working flat out and in terrible conditions of oh, hot weather ppe oh, kit you know and then and then 18 months later they're just then just not given the here in america uh, something similar like that happened but it's not and because the government stepped in and said you must be um vaccinated if you're yes. a doctor or if you're a healthcare worker, you must be vaccinated. Now, some of them don't want to be vaccinated. No, you got a lot of anti-vaxxers. Which, and they uh, lost their jobs. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy because I would have thought being a medical professional is is a good job in America. And no doubt you have all the benefits with it, with the insurance and everything else. So to be that um, sort of insistent that you don't want it, yeah, well, I mean, it's up to, again, it's an individual decision. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree not, more. But like you say, you're in a lucrative position. Some of them are lucrative. Yeah. You know, I mean, get the shot. I would have. You know, yeah. it's, even if it went against, uh, but some of them say it goes against their religious beliefs, yada, yada, yada. So it's a big to do now. And it's like, this is how you repay the people, like you said, who are on the front lines and, and put their lives on the line. But the thing is, Dave, I mean, 24, 36 hours straight, you know, yeah, from their families. It's it's a very difficult one, isn't it, with with vaccinations, because 
we uh, over here i think it's polio or um something i can't remember what it is but it's now completely been wiped out because of that because everyone's had a vaccine it no longer exists because right. it can't you know it can't go from person to person it's just disappeared but now because people have come into this lots of you know, I've got nothing against immigration, so I'm not even going to go there. We have lots of people with different cultures don't have vaccinations because their own cultural beliefs or religious beliefs, they just don't have them. They don't agree with them for various reasons. But what's happening is it's starting to come out again now because okay. people are not having the vaccines. So consequently, this is passing about that community. So we've got a new wave of people coming in which are anti-vaxxers, which is fine. I'm not moaning about it. But that's why it's starting to come back, you know. Right. Uh, it's it's so then it's not mandated as it is mandated if you're a country yeah. person and, and live there. See here in the states, in order for your child to go to school, they have to have certain vaccinations. Yes. But I I don't know on the immigration side if people who come in if they have to get it, but I, I know their children if they want to go to school. But that again, that that that's another political issue. Yeah, that's right. Certain I mean, people's. Let's with certain religions, they're saying no, 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 yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, no. it's it's um, you. It's like we were talking about AA, um, people or anything where there's steps or things to follow. It's very militant. You can't say to somebody you've got to do this because they've right. got their own personal rights, haven't they? You know, so well, I don't want to. You see, a lot a lot of people as as far as AA, I mean, it is a twelve step fellowship, and they suggest you do the twelve steps. Well, now, yeah, that's the whole point, you isn't it? You have to. That's a different story. I mean, I stay away from people like that because then they have what they call the 12 traditions in AA. And the most important tradition in AA is the third tradition, which simply states the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. A desire. Yeah. So, but, I mean, with, with some sober groups... I know people who who have got their own sober social media groups, wherever it's on, and they've actually had to say to people, "Listen, we're going to have to, unfortunately, remove you from the group because it's not a sober sometimes group. This is for people who are genuinely, you know, after the 18th time they've come on and said, oh, you know, I'm on day one again. Oh, I'm on day right. one again. I'm on day two. Or oh, I'm on day one again, which I get. But after so long, you say, look, you, it's obviously not your time. I, I seen that happen here in AA in my in my local area. That this one young lady, she she was one of those persons in and out, yeah, in and yeah. out, in and out. And this last time, uh, a couple of years ago, she was reaching out for help, reaching out for help, and everybody kept telling her no. And then she finally called me, and I said, okay. And this is during COVID. I said, well, you gotta have a COVID test. <laughs> she drunk. We're standing online. It's chilly. It's cold yeah. out. We're online two hours, and then they say, well, we ran out of tests. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. She goes, I'm not going to make it through tonight. And I said, well, come on, let's go to the liquor store. She goes, what? You're going to need something to help you get through tonight. Go to the liquor store. Yeah. Really? Yeah, really. Because the medical ramifications of you just stop drinking. Yeah. You can go to DTs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't know know the medical, but I know it's very dangerous. Yeah, but I said to her, I said, I got news for you. I'm taking tomorrow off of work. <laughs> I have the keys for your apartment now. <laughs> yeah. I said, I am coming and waking your ass up. You are going to go get a COVID test. 
because you're telling me you want to go. No, no, no. Yeah, do that. And she was adamant about it. I'm like, okay, good. We got her that COVID test, and I started losing hope. It was right around 5 o'clock. I finally called this last detox rehabilitation center, and they said, yeah, bring her in. And yeah. she keeps thanking me and saying, you got me sober. I said, I didn't get you sober. You got yourself sober. Yeah. Everybody you needs it needs some. Everybody, don't get me wrong, it's got to be whoever, your own personal choice, hasn't it? You know, right. you've got to want it to do it. Choice, but, but take somebody's help. You know, if someone says, look, yes. you know, if somebody I, says, I mean, look, I, I really you. want to do this, but I can't get there. And someone says, I'll take her. Yeah. Thank, that, that's thank all you. I that's did. Fab. Brilliant. I, I, I mean, I donated my time and allotted myself a lot of my time to her. Yeah. You know, because that's what was done for me. When I reached out and called out for help, somebody said, okay, yeah, here we are. We'll help you. No, I mean, you know, and here you are, you know, sober and <laughs> helping people. Trying to chaplain, do the best I can. To do the best hope you can. And inspiration. Yeah. Hope's a, a great word because people need hope, don't they? I love that word, hope. That's, yeah. that's my new favorite you know, word. <laughs> you know, and um, I saw some T-shirts. I don't know who they are, so I can't give them the praise for it. You know, but it says addicted to hope. And I thought, that's fantastic. Addicted to hope. Oh, I like that. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of people pick up that word in the recovery community. I was I was a member and still am of um, uh, the Lighted Up Foundation here in the United States. And um, they're about mental health and recovery and, for addiction and addiction. And that's they have a yellow heart. And on the back of their shirt, it says hope. Yeah. It just instill hope in others that it can get better. And you, too, can get better. A lot of people start to think and get in their head. I can't do this. I can't do this. No, I mean, day one is a daunting day, if you think, right. And forever's a long time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We know that. But what I, I often say to people, listen, forget about forever. Just think about today. And then once you've done today, you can do another day because you've done one. Right. And then just go from there, you know. And if you wanted to look further, why don't you give yourself a, the end of the week and see how you feel? And more often than not, people go, I've got to the end of the week. And then, and then a bit further, and they've hit double figures, and that's a massive milestone. Once you see that double figure, you're on day 10, people go, I can't go back now. Yeah, I think the further along you get in recovery and uh, you start realizing instead of counting the days, you make your days count. They start yeah. counting to you. They start yeah. meaning. I like that. Like, yeah, make the days I count. Want, I don't want to go back. I, I know plenty of people in recovery never came into AA, never did quit lit. Uh, no. I'm going to try dry, dry January. And they resign themselves to the fact that they're not going to drink for that 30 days or 31 days. And then they, they realize, oh, they did it for somebody else, a loved one. And yeah. they say, well, you shouldn't do that. You got to do it for yourself. I don't care what way you do it. <laughs> Just no. do it. Just do it. Um, I mean, I there's a friend of ours who did it that way for her son who was sick, and she decided she wasn't going to drink for her son, and still sober over ten years later. Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing because well, it just is, isn't it? You know, it's exactly what you just said. She just took it one day at a time. All right, I did it today, so tomorrow I'll wait till when tomorrow gets here, and I'll try it again tomorrow. Yeah, perfect. Right, Dave, I'm going to let you carry on with your day and what time are we now it's 10 o'clock at night here so it must be about five o'clock in the evening for you 
Five o'clock, and even for me, the five o'clock yep. bell rang. It's time to go home. Yeah, are you going to go pick a couple of bagels up on the way home? No, no bagels. I, I got, <laughs> I got my my, my macaroni. You got? <laughs> you have jeans turned down your bed yet? Yeah, I've, I've just actually, um, he's just put the um hot water bottle in the in the, in the bed for me. Turned it down. <laughs> I'm going to have it's a couple hot of... water bottle. What do you need the hot water bottle for? Dave, this is the honest truth. I put my heating on today in in August. You had to put your heat on? Yeah, I was so cold when I came home. I feel so bad. Yeah, but I really ought to go out wearing clothes next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I did put the heating on because I was really cold. Uh, but, um, there you go. The cats liked it anyway. Tomorrow I'm going to be 87 degrees. Thank you for that. And the low is only going to be 71. Yeah, brilliant. Tonight my low is going to be 69 degrees, so whatever that is in yeah. Celsius. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Um, right, before we wrap this you're up welcome. then, um, we're going to just quickly say, so you're part of the Sober Bus. You're one of the founder members of the Sober Bus. Um, that's going great, Guns. Check out all that on Facebook and on Instagram. Um any any shout outs, Dave? You want to mention before we? No, there's just there's just my page too. If you don't yep. want to join a group or whatever, if you don't want to go on Silver Bus, you can find me on Instagram at NYDave564 and on Facebook as well. Yeah, just reach out. I'm more than happy. Direct yep. message. That's that's really really good. And I can't say enough that, that Dave's certainly helped me along the line, along the road, and um, we help each yeah. other. That's what it's all about, brother. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. Right, I'm gonna let you go. Take it easy, man. I and I shall you. speak to you very soon. So um, hang around after I just finish this because we'll have a quick chat offline so everyone's not listening. And I shall <laughs> speak to you soon. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. Let me just find the Cheerio, button. Cheerio, mate. Cheerio, mate. Hang on. Jeeves, could you um just put the tea on? Tell me a second. Yeah, go put the tea on. You need a spot of tea. Yeah. Wow, how good was that? Dave is just an amazing guy and I'd really like again to take this opportunity to thank him for spending an hour of his time talking to me about sobriety, you know, what an amazing conversation. Thanks everybody for listening and I'll catch you next time. Cheers guys.